And I'd like you to welcome my friend and brother in Christ, Pastor Paul Hunter. He's here today with his wife, Pam. You guys can give him a, that kind of welcome. It's been a year and a half that we've tried to get Paul here. For one thing or another, the scheduling, we are running into glitches. But today is the day. And so we are so blessed to have Paul Hunter from Next Generation Ministries. Thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here today. No, not at all. Thank you for asking more. We'll give the kids a chance to vacate. I want to add my congratulations to Dale and Rosie uh, for celebrating 70 years of, of marriage. They have joined a rather elite group of people uh, this morning. I, I read the bulletin because I get it online and... Uh, I just wanted to check and see how many couples stay married for 70 years. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, only 6% of married couples made it to their 50th wedding anniversary, and just 0.1% make it to their 70th wedding anniversary. That would be them right there. That means that if uh, 1,000 couples marry, one, only one lucky pair will celebrate a platinum anniversary. So another round of applause for two very stubborn people. They refuse to die and they refuse to divorce. So they survive. We thank uh, God for that. It's just a work of grace. It's a pleasure for me to be here this morning with you. Sorry it took so long, but um, I trust that our time here will be beneficial for you and uh, that God will do something that maybe you hadn't thought of uh, happening this morning. I know that uh, if you say yes to him, he's got something for you. It's like every moment needs to be a yes moment. So, uh, yeah. I want to thank this church for your relationship and for your support. For those of you that don't know me, because I see some people I don't recognize, doesn't mean I don't know you, it just means I don't recognize you. It's been a while, but um, I work with Next Generation Ministries. I spent 20 years in the East African nation of Uganda, and uh, I'll tell a little bit about that. I feel it's our responsibility to update you on how things have been going there, as well as uh, our lives, and it all kind of fits in with the message that I have for you this morning, but I appreciate the financial support that you give to Next Generation Ministries, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Change is a constant part of our life. I was just telling my wife this morning, we have a really dear friend, I mean a lifelong friend, over 50 years, and uh, she just has a hard time with change. She likes things predictable, she doesn't. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. Can we have a round of applause for Dan? Hey, I appreciate it. Amen. I may need that. So change, change is something that you can't avoid. It just happens all the time. And a lot of it, it just, it comes in minute, unrecognizable. You just don't even see it, but it's happening. And then there's other really momentous things, huge things that you can't avoid. You know that this is going to be different. I'm in transition. I lost my husband. And you're in a huge transition. Uh, the, the minute things we don't recognize. For example, like the day I was born, I started getting old. But I never took note of it. 
I just never noticed I was getting old until just a couple years ago. And then I realized oh, I've been changing my whole life. Getting adding years and adding years. But then there's other things like when I left home for college. That was different. You know, I, it's college. It's not real life. But it's kind of like a semi-real life before you get out of college. And I met my, my girlfriend there. Pam chased her down. Got married over 55 years ago. That was a good change. If you get married, there's a good chance you might have kids. I had kids, and because I felt called to follow God wherever he would take me, it took me a lot of different places. So we were moving, moving, moving. We finally moved to Colton in 1984, and then I fell in love with Africa and uh, in 2001, and then we spent time there. Those were all huge changes. We ended up adopting two uh, Africans. That changed our life. Now we got 11 great-grandchildren. You know, life goes on. Change, change, change. It's a part of our, our, our whole existence here in, uh, in, in life. But in, in 2020, there was a cataclysmic. There was like a huge change that took place. And I believe it's a spiritual thing. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. You see, Pam and I, we, our adopted son got married in December of 19, or 2019. All my kids were from the States were there. Our family was there, and he, he got married in Kampala, Uganda. And then we came home, and we had a ticket to return to Uganda for nine months in April. So we got to see our kids, our grandkids, some of our friends, and then we got ready to go back to Uganda. But in March, what happened? Everybody found out that there was this pandemic thing, this COVID-19 thing. Never heard of it before. And it was kind of like, it was kind of like the World War II for our generation. You know what I mean? Except we had never been through a depression. We are the generation of comfort. And it really disturbed us greatly. But it was just like a war. Because you didn't know who the enemy was. They were all wearing masks. You didn't know who had COVID, who didn't have COVID. They were restricting our movements. They were telling us we can't do this, we can't do that. And it was like, people were like, wait a minute. I've been able to do whatever I want to do. Now you're telling me I can't do this stuff. And there was like, you know, there was rebellion Amen. on both sides, you know. Churches split. Those who wanted to wear a mask, those who didn't want to wear a mask, somebody had nobody's going to tell us what to do. And it was just like, it was a traumatic exchange for our country, for the world. It was global. No more movies. No more eating out. No more assembly for churches. Church meetings, those kind of changes. It was really a huge change that happened to us. And I believe it's an important part of God doing something in the soul of his church. You know, the body of Christ has a soul. And sometimes we're just not resilient. You know, we like react with anger or we're upset or we have some kind of two-bit analysis of what's going on without seeing it. In the context of what God is trying to do in the world. And uh, so it's a... Uh, for me, I, had, I don't think I responded in the way that I wish I would have. We purchased three flights and all of them were canceled. For two years, I wasn't with the people that I love or the people that I want to minister with. And it was tough on me because I felt like I wasn't in the right place. I wasn't doing the right thing, and it was this nasty disease that had canceled my life. 
And I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do. So it was more than just a few schedule changes that affected my life. First thing I went into was depression. I'm not talking clinical depression. I didn't have to take drugs. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It's just like, you know what kind of depression I'm talking about? Where you just don't have any hope. You don't have any anticipation. You're not like that next thing that you know God has assigned you to do. Because I kept telling the Lord, I don't know why I'm here, because I'm supposed to be in Uganda. You guys probably never talk like that to God. But I don't have enough sense not to. It's just like, I am the smartest guy I know. Why wouldn't I trust me? Even though for years I've been trusting God, I can look over my shoulder and see the evidence of His presence and His power in my life. But you know, sometimes we just go nuts. We get lost. We forget our way. So I went into depression. Now, I'm not talking about the time kind you can't get out of bed. I still got out of bed. Still ate meals, obviously. <laughs> but it was just like that discouragement. When is this going to end? Cancel the first flight. Cancel the second flight. Cancel the third flight. What's going to happen to me? Then, the, the, then after depression, I kind of entered a new phase of my experience. That was insanity. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about clinical insanity. My wife didn't have me committed. But she knew I wasn't right. So the best way to define insanity is when you take control of your own life. That's about the dumbest thing a guy can do. So I start asking myself questions. So what are we supposed to do? Should we sell this place? Should we go to this place? What are we going to do? What's, what's next? I'm starting like making up scenarios. How about this idea? How about this idea? And when you come up with an idea, it's just one short step to a plan. Because when you get an idea, your mind says, that seems like a good idea. I mean, it's always good to run those good ideas past other people. They go, you're nuts. That's insane. You just need to follow Jesus. Fortunately, after about six weeks of trying to figure out what, where, and why, and all that stuff, I entered a third phase. Recovery by repentance. Repentance means you turn around and go the other way. 180 degrees, that you're no longer going to go the direction you were going, but you're going to go God's direction. See, for, the, for me, this was over a period of months where I was just interacting with God. So <clears throat> the first thing I realized is that because I was thinking, I'm 77 years old. I don't have a lot of time left. I need to get back to Africa as though God needs me there. He doesn't. No one needs Paul Hunter in Africa. People need Jesus, but they don't need us. We're just carriers. We're transportation devices. We're conduits because people need Jesus. But I was thinking, because that's where I enjoy, that's where I enjoy living, I wanted to be there. So there had to be a repentance. And I was thinking, so what, what's my life like right now? We got five acres, three of it's in grass and weeds. You know, kind of like yours. Yeah. And I was just asking the Lord, so is this my life now? I just mow the lawn, going in circles, riding the mower, cutting down the grass. He said, if you can get this down, I might give you something else. 
But as long as you're resisting this, as long as you're not taking just one breath at a time, putting one foot in front of the other, you'll never realize that every season has its own beauty. I was reading through the Bible, using, using the Bible project out of Portland as my guideline, and I was in Ecclesiastes. And it made more sense to me than it ever made before. <clears throat> when I got to chapter 3, you know how it goes. For everything, everything, there is a season and a time for every activity under heaven. Or it could be a purpose under heaven. A reason. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak up. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now that was, you know, that's anybody can just say amen. Just go ahead. Amen. There you go. That's like 10% amen. And, <clears throat> but it's true. Everybody knows that. But what it meant to me was like, okay, calm down. This is a good season. Being old is a good season. Amen to that. Amen. There's some old people here. My gosh. <laughs> You know, I know one thing. I'm not dead. I'm still alive. So there must be a purpose under heaven for my existence. And if I don't know yet, it's because God hasn't revealed it to me. And that's okay. So I got on the mower. And I mowed the grass. And for me, it's like I'd rather mow the lawn than golf. Amen. <laughs> so some people they love golfing. For me, I kind of like grass because it's so reflective. It's monotonous. You know, it's like uh, you don't have to really think about it if you're able to turn corners and you and, and, and you get something done. And you know, it takes about four hours for me. You can think a lot. You can talk a lot to God, and you can listen, and you can say something. This is a beautiful season. So instead of like going, you know, I'm past my prime. I can't do this anymore. My hands hurt. I got a bad knee. Blah, blah, blah. Instead of all that stuff, you're saying, this is a beautiful season. And I haven't seen it yet. I'm just peeking at it. I'm just getting kind of a glimpse of it. But I know that because God is good all the time, he's got something really positive for me in this season. And I need to be open to it because why would I be close to it? Why would I make my life miserable? Personal choice. I don't need to do that. That was a part of my recovery. Now, my repentance came in Cannon Beach. You know where that is. I used to teach school at the Bible College there for 11 years. I taught there. And I had a friend in Mobile, 
He's 19 years old, and he decided to attend there last year. So I told Pam, let's drive over there, attend class with him, take lunch with him, find out what God's doing in his heart. So we drove over there. You know, I was just like doing that kind of thing I do, especially with the next generation. Because I've always had a father's heart and always liked working with the next next generation. And so we, we went to class with him, and the teacher for that class was teaching the book of Revelation. Confession, not my favorite book. That and Numbers, you know, Leviticus. Some of those books, you know, I don't get, get everything. I'm not as smart as you people. So that just kind of explains it right there. But I, but I do know that it was not a coincidence for me to be there on that day with him teaching that book. And especially because he was in chapter 2 and 3 and he was covering the seven letters to the churches. And when he covered the book, the one to Ephesians, uh, the angel was saying to that church at Ephesus, I, I've heard about your works and you, you've done a good job. Well done. It's great. And, and I like that about you. But, but, but I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. Repent. It was like nobody was there except the Lord and me. And he was saying, this is the problem with your heart. You love the people in Africa. You love ministry. You love your wife. There's a lot of things you love. Where did, that, where did those things come from? Who loved you first? Why aren't you just satisfied with me? Am I not enough? That was the reality. It's, a really, it's, it's really wise to just live us a lifestyle of repentance. Just keep turning around. You're a work in progress, process, whatever we call it. It's change. Being transformed with, from one level of glory to the next level of glory. There's always going to be more. Why do you think we have to spend eternity with him? Because we can't get it all done. And when we get there, it won't be all done. There's just too much of Him. Too much of Him. It's always been about who we are in Him, not about what we do for Him. He's always more interested in the worker than He is the work the worker's doing. He wants to transform us. And He's and he, he so gracious in bringing pain into our life. And he allows confusion to confront us so that he can get our attention because we, are, we do have this tendency. This is why people don't ever give their life to Jesus. Because they don't trust him. They don't want to give their life to Jesus because if you give your life to Jesus, you give your life to Jesus. That's a huge transition. It's been you all the time. But when you give it to him, you got to keep giving it to him and keep giving it to him. And so he allows the normal experiences of life to disturb us. He's like the best father ever. He just messes with his kids. He's trying to like, you know, you're not done yet. Doesn't make any difference how many years you have. It doesn't make any difference how many experiences you have. Doesn't make any difference how many failures or successes you've ever had in life. I'm not done with you, he says. That was a key thing for me. 
And I just said, okay, I'm, I've been busted. You know, he, he just busted me back down to the beginning and said, the best thing for you to do is to be satisfied with me. Stop looking for something else. Amen. You can't, if you go there, if you do that, you'll be disappointed. It won't be enough. I am enough. Is your, whole, is your soul hearing this? Yes. Is your soul hearing? There's a message here for you. Tailor make. You know, I was telling somebody this morning, God doesn't build track homes. He does custom work. It's always custom work. He knows you and you're not like anybody else. Similar, but not alike. And he knows every detail of you, so it's always custom. It's always tailor made for you. Your journey is your journey. Your story is your story. It may resemble someone else's, but it's not the same. That's how big he is. That's how transcendent he is. That's how other he is than his creation. Though we're made in his image and likeness. But he's enough. And he wants to bless you with his presence. And you're not smart enough to define that. Let him define it. I got a friend I've been visiting in the penitentiary here in, in the state of Oregon for 17 years. I used to referee high school basketball with him. He got a large sentence. It's home for him. It's the best thing that ever happened to him. God's got his heart. Got all of him. He didn't want to go anywhere else. Some of you have made your own prisons. Some of us. We've made our own prison. For me, it's like a good thing, so-called, like ministry, being a missionary. But it was never about that. It was never about what he wanted to do with me, like, and use me in service. It was about my heart. I want you. I love you. I gave my life for you. Would you love me back? It was intimacy. It, it was love relationship that he was after. That thing should never change. Jesus should always be our first love. Amen. That will become the compass for our lives. He never, I don't believe he gives us a road map. He gives us his spirit. So we take one step at a time. Otherwise, we start thinking we figured it out. We got the map. But he just gives us the compass to point us in the right direction. So here's what happened. You know, once I got kind of settled, I'm still doing that. I'm still repenting, you know. <clears throat> My wife can tell you stories. Not now. <laughs> on her time. We discovered that during the two years we weren't in Africa, that they didn't need us. Wow. That's a good revelation right there. The work went on. They kept doing what they were doing and we weren't there to monitor or to direct or we weren't there. And by golly, we weren't as essential as maybe we thought we were. That's a good thing, isn't it? So it resulted in a role change for me. You know, if they ask for some uh, mentoring, I can give it. If they don't, don't mess with it. God's got it. 
you know, the goal, the goal for Pam and me always was to never make a perpetual organization in Africa. It was to be like a spiritual mother and father, train up this next generation and give it to them. So God allowed us to go to Uganda last year, January and February. And while we were there, we got to observe a lot of things. Yeah, some things needed to be corrected, but it wasn't up to us to correct it. Then we went back in August, <coughs> excuse me, in September, and we went with the chairman of the board who lives in Seattle, and we officially handed over the ministry to the board that was there. Now we have the international board with both boards combined, but we handed it over to them and said, this is yours. You know, own it, own it fully, run with it. You know the culture better than we do. There's so much that you've taught us. We came here to learn. Maybe we didn't think so. Maybe we thought we came to help out. But we didn't. God brought us there so he could keep changing us and changing our hearts. So we found out that, uh, that they could hand, uh, handle it quite well. And then last year, oh no, that's just year. 20, is this 2023? 20, okay. So this year, we realized that our goal was to take away the employee mindset from our staff of nine people and to transform them into missionaries. So our board members were meeting with them in their staff meetings on Monday. I was doing Zoom meetings with them on Mondays. And we were just saying, you know, you're not an employee. This isn't a business. This is a missionary society. This means we just don't go into the, to the office and write reports. But we engage with people. We engage with people. That's what we've been doing. So most of us probably consider ourselves pretty resilient. You know, we encounter adversity, but we bounce back. We think we're pretty resilient. After the pandemic, you know what we wanted? We wanted to get our lives back. Isn't that right? We wanted life to return to normal. And what a funny definition of normal. What does that mean? Well, we get to go to the movies. Really? We get to go out to eat. And we found out that those are the things we really enjoyed. That's kind of where our heart was, doing whatever we want to and having the resources financially to do it. Because we're used to being comfortable and making our own way. I think God's up to something bigger than that. And if you just look at our recent history, you'll find out there's a lot of fallout happening because of this traumatic experience. We've been trauma. Pastors renouncing their faith in Jesus. Born again people committing suicide, left and right. Marriages falling completely apart. Not lasting 70 years. You know, on the outside looking like they got their poop together. Well, can you say that in church? Yeah. I just did. I'll get in trouble for it later. My wife is in trouble. God wants to disturb our lives enough so we can get them back. Maybe we've never really known what normal is. Because normal is all in, all in, all in. Every chip you've got was given to you by God. You know, we, we, had, we were celebrating Rosie and Dale this morning, but I was thinking of the best way to, to open this morning. In fact, let's just do it now. Close your eyes.
Can you close your eyes? Not because I'm going to pray. I just don't want you to be distracted by anything. Now, I want you to think of three things that you really, really love. Three things. I know you can make a list of 50 or 100 or 1,000, but just three. You got them? Now, just thank God. Thank you for it. This amazing person that's lived with me for so long. Thank you, God, for whales. Thank you, God, for music. Thank you for the variety of food. I mean, what it doesn't, you know, you don't get points because it has like a spiritual flavor to it. Because all the blessings that come to us came from him. The Apostle Paul asked that uh, question, you know, rhetorical question, like, what do you have that you haven't received? I don't care if it's your ability, your creativity, it came from him. Isn't God good? Yes. All right, that's, that's kind of how I wanted to start. Because you see, probably none of those things were like, I get to go out to a movie. Or I get to go out to a restaurant. It could have been. That's okay. You know, I'm not the judge of that anyway. But the things we love are kind of like a barometer of where our souls are, how healthy we are. But if we take all of those things, all of those things, and just say, God, I love you. I give everyone and everything to you. And I thank you for blue sky and green trees. That's one, that's one of the things I love. I hate it when they get burned. Changes the landscape. I thank you for good kids, good grandkids. I thank you for good friends. I, I thank you for people who will call me out, admonish me, correct me. I mean, there's a thousand things that you can make a list of them. Thank God. Thank God for those things. The truth is, is that this pandemic was traumatic. And the trauma cannot be fixed by any of those things. The trauma can only be fixed by the presence and provision of Jesus Christ. It's not where we live. It's not what we do. But it's always about who he is and what he provides. So maybe we need to just refocus. What is your purpose? Now, sometimes when you ask a question, it isn't because you don't know the answer. I happen to know the answer on this one. Because our, God already declared what your purpose is. And that's to glorify Him. When Pam and I got married, we had a wedding cake like most people. And on the cake we had 1 Corinthians 10.31. And what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says is, even if you're just eating and drinking, do everything for the glory of God. Even the mundane thing of taking nourishment. Just glorify God in that. Everything you do can be measured by whether it glorifies God or not. Now remember, he does custom work. So you don't have to compare yourself to anybody else. You don't have to be anybody else. You don't have to be on the same trajectory. But do you glorify God? The second thing is that we're on mission. We have a reason to be here. And it isn't to buy that next big home or boat or RV. 
It isn't to get that promotion. It's to connect people to Jesus. Come on, we're church. It's to connect people to Jesus. That's why we exist. Now, the vision for our purpose and our, and our mission is going to be as different as all of us are. It is going to be different. It's going to be different. Listen, story is the way that we orient ourselves. Story. The narrative is the way that we orient ourselves. It depends on what story you listen to that will determine your perspective. And what we saw after the pandemic is everybody's ready to share their story on social media. And you can get all worked up <coughs> about stuff that isn't your stuff because of the stories that are told. The human brain processes information in the form of narration. <coughs> story is how we figure things out. It's how we bring order and meaning to the events around us. The story we accept at any given time will shape our perceptions. It will shape our hopes. It will shape our expectations. I've got good news for you. The story of God is still the story of the world. Ephesians chapter 1. God raised Jesus from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Things aren't out of control. Regardless of the stories you've been listening to. Things are not out of control. No name he, he, is, he, is, he is in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power is exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, when the Apostle Paul was getting that narrative from the Holy Spirit, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. This is our center point. This is our, this is our foundation. This is our beginning. This is our middle. This is our end of the purpose of our existence. We need to get grounded. The truth is, see, like, nobody's asking the right questions. They're asking questions about the economy, about global warming, about secondary issues. But the real question is, what are you going to do with your sin? When have you had anybody ask you that question lately? When do they use that word anymore? Like sin? What are you talking about? That's the historical problem. Every meeting, every prayer meeting, everything should be, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? And it's the problem of sin. And God sent his son to find a solution to that problem. So what are you going to do with your sin? I'm not a good guy. And neither are you. There's none good, not even one. If there's any goodness, we know where it came from. Amen. Yeah. It came from above. So what are you going to do with your sin? And if that's the question for you, 
It's also the question for everybody else. What are you going to do with your sin? I got good news for you. I don't have to bear my own sin any longer. There's one who came and lived on this earth. Who was willing to do the Father. Even though we asked him if there's another way. It's fine with me. But he said nevertheless not your will but my, uh, not my will be done. But your will be done. He went to Calvary and he took my sin upon him. That's great news. Sin is our enemy. Satan is our enemy, and Satan is the great distractor. He's got the church all filled with all kinds of useless concerns. And we're not asking the main question and bringing the solution of Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. This is like old-fashioned church, isn't it? Yeah. This is like old-fashioned church. This is who we are. We are representatives. We should have the flavor of Jesus on us. If they test us, we should be Jesus positive, contagious as HIV, as contagious as COVID-19. Yeah, that's right. I was just asking the Lord, please, this isn't about me this morning. This is about NGM, Next Generation Ministry. This is about your people getting re-engaged with the mission, with the vision, with the purpose of God in their lives. We're here for a reason. And that reason is to connect people to Jesus. Doesn't mean, you don't have to be a part of a missionary organization to do that. You just have to be born again. Are you born again? Yeah. Yep. Hallelujah. He is. Are you? Yeah. Are you born again? Are you just a church boy and church girl? Born again. Are you just coming for the treats? The kisses. Don't sit on your kisses, by the way. Or on your chair. Because it's so easy to just kind of get caught up in the religious aspect of it, you know. What we think is like Jesus is like sugar. You know, life's a little bitter. If you just want to sweeten it up, just add a little Jesus to it. No, he's the whole cup. He's it. He's everything. That's what we read in Ephesians. Everything is in. Forgive us, Lord, for wandering away. We've, had, we've committed adultery. We've had affairs with all kinds of things. We need to come home. We need to come home. To walk with you, talk with you, emanate the fragrance of Jesus Christ. The pain we've gone through is a part of the package. The confusion we have is part of the package. It all fits together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's one of the ingredients. It's part of the, of the process of him making us who he wants us to be. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being together. We thank you for the privilege of celebrating the amazing work you've done in Dale and Rosie. Thank you for bringing us together. We believe, Lord, that you are the head of the church, that you're, in fact, in charge of everything, the universe, the galaxies, and all the governments. Lord Jesus, you've been forgotten. You've been forgotten. Forgive us. Quicken our hearts. Teach us how to romance you again.
to be in love with you, to represent you. May your grace rest upon this congregation. May they spur each other on to love and good deeds. May there be light in the darkness in this community. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for letting me come here. Dan, thanks for the water. I'm parched. Thank you. Thank you.